so my uncle, his brother was drafted by the Oilers and the Cowboys. Uh, back then, I guess it was the, before there was one NFL, the AFC and the NFC. Uh-huh. So both teams drafted him. And my dad was considered small. He had some opportunities to play in Canada, maybe for Ottawa or um, one of the other Canadian teams. But back then it was, they decided more beneficial to just go ahead and start their careers. Hi everyone, this is Ross, your host of Bear Crawl with Dads. So true confession, I'm completely leveraging this podcast for personal and selfish reasons. You see, not too long ago, I became a dad for the very first time, but with that, an older dad. So the one thing that I know so far is that this bear crawl as a dad is not meant to be done alone. We truly need each other. So may this podcast be that for you. So come along and let's bear crawl together. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. And as you know, Bear Crawl with Dads is all about dads and just celebrating what you guys do every day. And uh, as a new dad, as an older dad, I definitely want to glean as much information that I can from friends and guys that are out there being dads and uh, just learn everything that I can. Just a couple of facts real quick before I introduce my next guest. This is taken from the National Fatherhood Initiative um, from fatherhood.org, 2022, that 18.4 million children, one in four, without a biological step or adoptive father at home. That research shows when a child is raised in a father absent home, they are affected in the following ways. Four times greater risk of poverty, more likely to have behavioral problems, more likely to face abuse and neglect, more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, two times more likely to suffer obesity. So the numbers really are stacked against the kids that are, that are grow up without um, having a father figure in their home. My next guest is Jeff. Uh, I've known Jeff for many, many, many years. And so Jeff is a proud father of three. So Jeff, welcome to Bear Crawl with Dads. Well, thank you for having me, Ross. And it's it's an honor to be Hosted by an older new dad, because you'll be well-equipped to be a great dad. And so there's just as much to glean from you as you from your guests. So Absolutely. And yeah, I'm leveraging this podcast, you know, as a new dad to just learn as much as I can. <laughs> so just what did you do? What are the right things and the wrong things to do? So I'm definitely leveraging this podcast for some selfish motives. So Jeff, as far as with the audience, what do you currently do? job-wise, what's your career look like for you? So I'm currently in the real estate industry. I more specifically am in risk management for a real estate development builder and property management company. So I've been in that industry for give or take 25 years, maybe a little more. So that's what I do. Fun ride. Awesome. Well, thank you for that. And so your first kind of lob question to you, and since we're all about dads and supporting dads and you know, we want everybody out there listening just to know that you're not alone in this. And so uh, the hope is that somebody out there listening can take some encouragement from you, from your story, just to empower them, encourage them, just to let them know that uh, they're not alone out there. But tell us a little bit about your dad. What was he like? What was your relationship like with him? So I had a great experience with my dad. And to start it out, I'll say that I guess I come from a lineage of good dads. So there's some consistency that kind of worked its way down to me. Had a great relationship with my dad's dad, 
as well yeah. as my dad. And I don't want to leave out mom. I know this is about dads, but I'm going to just go ahead and give a shout out to mom and her family because she was obviously a big part of my experience with my dad and everything going well there. So my dad uh, grew up in West Texas, initially started out on a farm and ended up raised in a small town in West Texas once they moved off the farm and uh, worked his way down to Houston when he went to college. He went to Rice, played football at Rice, and he came out of a somewhat of a legendary high school program in West Texas. So football is a big part of my dad, granddad, uncle's lineage and, and many great memories from that and uh, ended up at Rice and had a great career at Rice as well and uh, ended up settling in Houston, which is where he met my mom, eventually how I came to be. Real quick, what was the Friday night light for those that are familiar with the movie and the book? But what city is your dad from or town or in what high school? Yeah. So he is from Abilene, Texas. Yep. And he played for the Abilene Eagles. There's some books written about the Abilene Eagles from in the 50s, okay. late 50s. They eventually were deemed the team of the century in Texas. Yeah, out of the 1900s into the 2000s. At the time, this probably isn't as great of a feat now, but back then they won three straight state championships back when high school was only three years. So somewhat of a legendary team. Their coach was legendary. And, uh, you know, dad knew a lot of the great history behind Texas football and um, kind of a part of that on me. So I grew up with a keen knowledge and, and a love of Texas high school football in addition to college football. That's where he's from and a little bit about what he was about. It was a big deal in our lives. Just having that background. Yeah. So getting a scholarship, was that what brought your dad to Houston? Did, did a lot of universities seek your dad? Did he get a lot? I don't know how it worked back then, but did, yeah, did he have offers? No, it was really a little different back then. Yeah, he had. So back then, the Southwest Conference was a big conference down here. I'm not sure who all, but I know that uh, SMU was after him pretty heavily, as well as Rice. There's some pictures of him during some recruiting visits at SMU, which I thought were kind of fun to see. Uh -huh. And his brother, he was a year older than his brother, but he and his brother went through school together. So they were, in a sense, a package. And they came to Rice together, recruited to come down and play there and uh, played through Rice. I think the story went that dad had asthma as a child and his parents kept him out of sports for a while and then maybe held him back a year in school. And then he just went through with his brother. So if we could get biblical, did the nickname for your, your dad and your uncle, the Sons of Thunder? No, it was James. the King Brothers. Yeah. If, I, if I'm not being too revealing, so. <laughs> well, I know, I know I James, I, James and John in the Bible, the brothers, are, they were the Sons of Thunder. So I didn't know if, uh, okay. you know, being the, no, the, two, my, the, the tag team of, of Rufus and his brother, if they were like the Sons of Thunder coming through. That land of rice. They were not the Sons of Thunder, but they were, um, a lot of people that know Texas high school history know of the King Brothers. The King Brothers. Um, That's so awesome. Yeah. I was going to say, there's some fun article, newspaper clippings that my grandmother kept that from the Houston Chronicle, Houston Post, and some of the other Texas newspapers. So the Kings, them, the, so. the Kings are kind of originated, are they, as far as if you trace a couple of generations back, is it Abilene? Yes. So my aunt, actually my uncle's wife is big into genealogy and she actually has traced her family and my dad's family all the way back over to, I think, England and Scotland. And you can follow the genealogy 
back to, uh, I want to say it was Jamestown. So they were migrated through Tennessee and down to Texas. They weren't part of the original, was it the original 300 of Texas, like the original 300 families? No, I doubt that. Well, okay. who knows? I've heard yeah. that far into it. That, yeah, because, you know, people didn't know Texas football, I mean, football's king, no pun intended. And the fact that you guys, it's just, that's such like a constant theme, generation after generation football with you guys. And so real quick, yeah. but as far as your dad, and to, correct me if I'm wrong, but to brag about your dad, was he the first All-American? He was an All-American at Rice. Kodak back then was, they sponsored the All-American team. He okay. played in the Hula Bowl. I'm trying to think. He's in the Rice Hall of Fame. Okay. So he had a good career there. Did he ever have a, did he ever get a taste of the NFL? What? No. No. Back then. So my uncle, his brother was drafted by the Oilers and the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. Uh, back then, I guess it was the, before there was one NFL, the AFC and the NFC. Uh-huh. So both teams drafted him. And my dad was considered small. He had some opportunities to play in Canada, maybe for Ottawa or um, one of the other Canadian teams. But back then it was, they decided more beneficial to just go ahead and start their careers okay, uh, outside of football. So my uncle went to graduate school and my dad started in the insurance business. Okay. So your dad and, became uh, an insurance agent? Yeah. Broker, agent. Okay. It was with one of the larger insurance companies at the time. Okay. That was the path he took. Okay. Another funny story, just speaking of family and mm-hmm. Texas football. So at Rice, and, and there's a pretty tight-knit group, some of my dad's teammates who stayed in Houston. I ended up going to school with a couple of their sons and as well in college had a couple of teammates that played with my, whose dads played with my dad. Mm-hmm. And then my mom's brother was a couple of years behind my dad at Rice and knew my dad before my mom knew my dad. Wow. It's pretty funny how all that. Yeah. That's, um, that's really cool. I, you know, it, you heard it here first. I swear you need to start a podcast on Texas high school football, like the, you know, or, or the history of, cause I feel like you're just kind of like a walking encyclopedia, especially with your dad and your, the rich lineage you have. Yeah. Maybe so that, you know, neat idea. Yeah. So, gosh, that's so cool, though, and all the stories and just to re- reconnect all these people. That's just fascinating to hear that. Yeah, it's kind of losing its, uh, you know, my wife and kids don't really appreciate it probably as much, but it was a big deal growing up and especially if you were from Texas. Well, but that's something I need to live on, you know, and the kids these days yeah. need to know. I think they need to know that. Yeah. But anyway, so speaking of that, kids need to know something like first with your dad and, and, and obviously with his just incredible success in high school and in college in the football ranks. But is there anything that sticks out? I mean, I know your dad's not with us anymore. And on a side note, I've had the honor of getting to know your dad before he, yeah. he passed. And just, I remember just kind of being a, just kind of a, a gentle giant. I remember your dad, just, just very gentle, but just massive, you know, just thick. So I had kind of had like a healthy fear of him. But like when you reflect on your dad, in the time that you spent with um, is there anything that you could like look back on as far as something that specifically advice that he gave you or something that he really just pounded in you? Something I've held on to, you know, dad was pretty laid back. Maybe you could call strong silent. He didn't really, he seemed to have a, an underlying trust of me and my siblings. 
and didn't really worry about what we were going to do. Just trusted that we were going to take care of ourselves and honor the family and mm-hmm. behave and come home. But uh, he was considered, I've, I've heard several people use the term salt of the earth when they described him. Somewhat of an old term, but, you know, a virtuous, honest, reliable person. A man of his word. Like, or- yeah. He didn't really do tell me how to live my life. Downed things into me. He just let me do what I not wanted to do, but I was interested in. He let me pursue that, and it just so happened to fall in line with what his interests were. You could say we're similar in our temperaments, personalities, many things. But uh, I can see that. Yeah. So that's kind of how he was. How he. How he raised me and, you know, I feel like too, you know, with father and sons, you know, of course, this is going to be a selfish question too, you know, with my son, but generalized thought with men and how we connect, right. That we're not overly Mm -hmm. verbal, like, Hey Jeff, how was your day? You know, we're going to sit there and just talk, 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 talk. It's like, I feel like generally we share by doing something like, you know, if you and I took Absolutely. a road trip, if you and I took a road trip to New Orleans, we probably wouldn't maybe say a whole lot. We have some music. You know, you may ask me, how was your road trip with Jeff? It was awesome. You know, but <laughs> maybe we didn't really talk a whole lot. It's just kind of being together, but maybe through the act of like throwing the football, I'm going to start sharing with you or casting, you know, going fishing, you know, through that act yeah. of fishing, I'm going to open up. So all that to say is, how did you connect with your dad? I like, did, was there something that y'all did together? Um, I know maybe a different generation, a dad just working. That was his way of showing love was going to work. Yeah. Did, did y'all, how did y'all connect? How did y'all communicate? Well, uh, football obviously was a connector. So we would talk about that. He would, uh, you know, there was a time where he would show me some things early on. And then at, eventually it got to the point where, Football is a little different now than it was when you were playing. And so we didn't always agree on how things were done in football, but not in a bad way, but it was just eventually my coaches took over and, but football was a connector. You know, there was a time in middle school where we had horses we'd go out and ride horses. And so dad, oh, that's awesome. yeah, it was an activity and we learned how to handle horses just by doing that with them, learned some, you know, just basic garage skills. Working around the house, working on cars. So that that's those were things that bonded and connected us. We okay. we did some road trips. He and his dad had a farm for a while, had some cows, and we would ride out there together. Generally, not say a whole lot, like you said, but <laughs> just being together. Yep. And it's um, yep. you know it's funny you mentioned how guys don't always talk, especially on road trips. Dad would on occasion he had mentioned to me that. He and I had a relationship similar to he and his dad, where we didn't always say much and we didn't always express how we felt about each other, but we just knew how much we cared about one another just without saying anything. So Mm -hmm. uh, he would reference that on occasion. He was a man of probably few words and I tend to be. So So really is that like, it's the power just being present. We knew how we felt about one another and didn't really have to express it. Yeah. And, um, I trusted him. He trusted me and things yeah. went on from there. It's funny because my granddad, kind of a, I would say a powerhouse in Galveston, mayor, doctor, started the family practice at UTMB, you know, so kind of this big deal, kind of a, a legend in Galveston. But as a, at a young age, I don't, you know, you don't think about that, but just my favorite memory was him, of it, with him was just going to grab a, a vanilla cone at Dairy Queen. 
you know, and just, I, just spending time with him. That's all I wanted, you know, just spending, yeah. granted, granted that was my granddad, but, um, but same holds true with my dad, just being with him, just being in his presence. It didn't really matter what we were doing per se, but I guess with that, now that obviously you're a dad, you've got three kids. What do you feel like has been your greatest challenge? Well, it's a good, I mean, I'm going to probably give you a few, but obviously just having patience with them and being intentional about giving time to them is a challenge. Uh, you get home from work, you're tired. It takes a while to transition and they just want to spend time with you. They want attention from you. Mm-hmm. So that's one challenge, having empathy for them. You know, I was thinking earlier about this question and one thing I've had to learn and that I, I'm continually trying to think through is meeting them where they are instead of me trying to make them what I think they should be. Mm-hmm. I, you know, early on it was, we had our first son and he liked a lot of the same things I liked and we did a lot of fun things together. And, and as they get older, you, you think they're going to be just like you, a mini me, and you're all excited about that, but they're different. They have their own interests, passions, personalities, whatever. And so it's hard to, sometimes you just have to step back and let them be what they're going to be. And and also when it comes to maybe disciplining them or just trying to teach them something, you've got to keep in mind that they may not care about the same things you care about and, or they may not have the same concerns you do. And you've got to figure out a way to connect and maybe let them run with what they want to run with and you just follow behind and guide them instead of trying to shape them into another you if that all makes sense Mm, yeah absolutely that's awesome so did you whether with i know you have three children was there a time where you felt a change where you kind of wanted to hold on or just having trouble letting go the did you have yeah did you have like they they kind of started pivoting away from not you necessarily but their own interests and you were still wanting them to kind of hold on to, Hey, this is our connection. But yet they started to kind of do their own thing. Like, did it click for you? Like, okay, now it's, it's changed. Like our relationship has now changed. Was that middle school? Was that? It's kind of a gradual progression probably. And it's going to be maybe subtle for some, not so much for others. You know, with our first one, we, he loved football, still loves football. And that was our connector. I coached him all through youth football. And, you know, that's what we spent a lot of our time doing and talking about. Now, see, it moved into high school probably was the point where you start noticing they have other things they're interested in, friends and yeah, well, maybe maybe certain aspects of school. And so they're not going to be just like you, you in that regard. And you have to find other things to connect with them on. It happened before high school, but just something that gradually works its way in to the relationship. That was one. And with another, didn't really take off with sports for a while and was in and out of sports and, you know, sports just probably won't be his thing. So there wasn't a struggle, but, you know, at some point you realize, okay, he's not going to be a sports guy. He's going to be something else, a musician or mm-hmm. an artist, or just he'll find his own thing. And that was great. Fortunately, music is one thing that he's interested in. And he, he looks to that as a way for us to connect. And so I, you know, I had to realize that, okay, this is what he wants to do with that or talk about with dad. You know, our second one is not as vocal as our first. And I really had to be mindful that, you know, the first one, you knew when he needed something, he told you. 
and you knew when you needed to do something different with them or whatever. You got good feedback. The second one, you really didn't get much feedback. So I had to learn because I tend to respond better to direct feedback and somebody telling me what they want or need. With the second one, he didn't really do that. He's more like me temperament wise and just he would do something or he would turn on a song or he would put something out on a table <laughs> hoping you would notice. And so I had to really learn, you know, coming off of the first child that the second one communicates differently and expresses and displays his needs for you differently. So I had to be mindful of that and learn that he connects differently and his interests are different. Mm-hmm. And he's not going to be, he's not going to be like me in some ways, in other ways he is. So you, you just t- kind of find your way through how each kid is wired yeah. and uh, connect that way. So if that all makes sense. Well, it does, but also to the fact that you as a dad, yeah. you have to like get to a point where you have to. I guess, come to the realization that they're different and kind of, like you said, just kind of meet them where they are. But, you know, I know right now, you know, where at some point, you know, with my 19 month old, maybe through the twos and the threes, you know, your dad's the hero and they're going to want to do everything you want to do, go where you want to go and do things you want to do. But then kind of there, where that is that, that switch where they start to naturally as they should grow up and they're kind of not pulling away, but you know, they're now, being influenced by their peers. And, you know, if you kind of go through that a little bit of that, like, oh man, you know, it's not going to be the same. You mentioned hero, you know, for a while you're, you're the hero and eventually you're not really the hero anymore, but you got to be careful because there are times where they need you to be the hero and they will come to you as the hero, but it's kind of a hero of convenience, which is good. I mean, it's part of them learning their own identity and learning to fend for themselves and pulling away as they grow up. So I've had to learn to just get to me, but just know that I, I'll i be there. I'm over here when you need me, but I'm not going to get in your way. Right. Well, I wonder too, if there's that tension with every young man of fighting for your independence, like I'm independent, I, you know, I'm, I'm my own person. And I wonder if too, there's that natural tension between a father and a son. You are my hero role model, but then when they start to get a little bit older, but I want to become my own man. You're like, wait, but you're not your own man yet. You know, you're still 16, you know, but there's that tension probably between that father and son as, as the son is. There is, and it it can be a healthy tension that that a lot of times it is, you know, and it's in some ways, uh, you know, I saw it with my dad and, and I can see, I can start to see my oldest, maybe looking at me that way. You start to notice your dad's imperfections. Yeah. Maybe mistakes. And things you don't necessarily, I don't want to say don't like about them, but things that you want to be different in yourself to where you don't want to completely be a carbon copy of your dad. Uh You want to do your own thing and you want to be different in certain ways. I saw that in my dad. Didn't change the way I felt about him. Just, you know, when I grow up, I want to do this differently or I want to be this. Uh And I'm starting to see that coming out in our oldest as he's becoming a man. You can tell that he's ready to carve his own path and and maybe do things differently than I did. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Yeah, it's great. And they need to. And, and I would advise them to not do things exactly the way I did them. And mm-hmm. That's cool, man. That's awesome insight. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Is there anything you would tell yourself? Like, what do you know now? What would you tell yourself? You know, I would say uh, meet them where they are. Give them room to just to be their own individual self, pursue what they want to pursue. Don't think you're going to 
make them what they're going to become right away. You know, you see, I'll take the sports aspect of this, tying it back to that. Every parent gets caught in this trap. You have this young child that wants to play sports and everybody thinks their kid's going to be the all-star and wants their kid to be the all-star. And, you know, right then and there, there's the pressure as a kindergartner or first grader or whatever grade they're in that everything's going to work itself out and you're going to figure it all out Mm -hmm. at that moment in time. And you need to just lay back, enjoy it, let them have fun with it because they don't care about all that. They just want to go play ball and Mm -hmm. have fun. And, you know, chances are they're, you know, they're going to have some fun with it and have their moments, but it's not going to be who they are when they become an adult. It's just going to be something they do along the way. It can help shape them, but don't make that their identity and don't make them your identity mm-hmm. based on, on performance. Well, it's the old of like parents living vicariously through their children, right? Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I wonder how much that comes from. I mean, I've always said this. I feel like we're kind of walking wounded from our middle school years. You know, we're all kind of somewhat maybe living into that facade that we had in middle school just to survive middle school. You know, like, am I the jock? Well, then I'm going to put on the jock mode. Am I the, the, it's like the path of least resistance. How can I get through this middle school year, these years without getting picked yeah. on, without getting like, you know, highlighted in a negative way. So if I'm the class comedian, I'm going to be the class comedian, you know, but uh, yeah. all that to say is like, we, I guess we do need to put our junk onto our kids and take our insecurities out on our kids. I think having worked in a school for gosh, almost 20 years now, then now being a dad, how much you just see parents either living vicariously through their children or putting their junk on their children or trying to be best friends with their children because they don't want to be tough because they don't want their kids to reject them. And they're, they're fearful of saying, no, this is the boundaries. And every kid needs to know boundaries, you know, and it's their job to push it and to test you. That's how they learn. That's that's social true. structure that helps them work through that. But I watch now, you know, you see young parents in the neighborhood or just around the area with young kids and you start to watch them begin to go through what we've already gone through. You don't, but you kind of wish you could just give them a word of advice here or there if, if they needed it. But uh, yeah. Well, here's your chance, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One thing I won't do because I don't have it all figured out, but uh, yeah. That's good stuff. So my last question to you is, what do you, again, a kind of another big macro question, but what do you see as the biggest challenge facing dads out there with all the social media stuff and other voices in your kids' ears? What's your biggest challenge, do you think, or, or to, all, to dads and maybe in general? I think I'll tie that back a little bit back to the first question, but first off, I want to so I do have a daughter as well that I didn't really spend much time talking about, but uh, probably more so because dads, there's the male connection, I guess, when we're talking about dads, but uh, mm. she obviously plays a big part in the answers I've given and the discussion I've given, but uh, mm-hmm. didn't reference her specifically. But as far as the biggest challenges facing dads, I'm going to have to throw out time and connect that with technology because I think technology is in a way come into play as far as restricting our time that we have available for our kids because it follows us home and sometimes can distract us when it should be just us giving undivided attention to our kids and to our family. You know, that's, I think that may be the biggest challenge. Maybe it's my biggest challenge and not others, but the time with your kids, 
time with my kids, but you mentioned technology. And I think part of that is maybe inhibited with technology, but yeah, time, if you need a one word answer, I'll do time. Do you hear from like your guy friends that are dads? Yeah. Do they talk about their frustrations? Do they talk about, are they vulnerable about as dads, you know, or yeah, man, I'm really battling time or as far as my answer goes, it's just observation. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll, I know it's what I struggle with and, and I need to give more of it to mm-hmm. my kids, but I also watch other dads just when I'm in a game or when I'm at one of my daughter's events or, you know, what have you just seeing other dads and how they interact. And it seems like when there is time, it's not being given to the kids. It's being taken away or filled with other things, other distractions. Oh, dads are being, okay. So dads are being distracted by other things. Yeah. Dads are, you know, we're just as as dads in general go, we're not giving the time that we should be giving to our kids. And you could see it. I see it on myself and then I see it and observing other dads, even when they're we're with our kids. No, I get it. And I wonder too, if there's that, you know, that struggle too with dads, you know, of like, I want to go hunting, I want to go fishing, or I want to go spend time with the boys, my boys, as not, I mean, like my friends, as opposed yeah. to family time, you know, like if that's fair, you know, just if you see that. You know, it's gotten to the point where it seems like whatever time we may have left, We'll give it to our kids or we'll give it to our family. It's, so it's not that you're not as saying it's a, it's a priority. I think they should be more of a priority than they are. Than yours. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if I'm making any sense with what I'm telling uh, you, but we don't give them the time they need. Mm-hmm. And I think the time that they're really asking for or demanding from us, we don't always pick up on that either. Yeah. Do you, do you feel like too that dad's, that communicate with each other? Do you feel like there's a sense of that dads are lonely, that dads share with other? I know sometimes we put on a facade and or we've got it all together or we're tough, but do you sense that there's this kind of a spirit of loneliness or we're kind of walking through this alone? Is that fair? I mean, I can, I can see where you're coming from. I don't know if dads just generally communicate that with other dads. You know, you may have a close friend or, you know, my brother is somebody I can be vulnerable with. We may share those things or, you know, maybe you're in a small group or a breakfast group or a group of guys that meet regularly just to discuss life. Maybe in those situations you'll share, but generally speaking, no, I think there's more of a facade that the dads put up. You know, you want to look like you have it all together. Well, I just feel like with everything, you know, it just, I'm not trying to be all dire, but just with, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if dads feel just beat up or, you know, and, 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 you know, we don't want to be vulnerable necessarily or, Hey, I'm really struggling, but you know, I just didn't know with your peers or the guys that you run with, whether it's through coaching or whatever, if just, if you sense that guys just don't have a place where they can really just share or just like, man, things are really rough right now. Or I don't know. Yeah, I, don't, I think that's, um, Maybe less available, or maybe guys feel less free to do that. And and there's the tendency for us to feel like we don't have it all together, but you look around and everybody else seems to have it all together. Or you may notice a guy that wants to appear that he has it all together, but you can kind of tell it's he's struggling. So yeah, I don't think it's really 
I don't think guys really talk about that topic much or want to want to appear that way. I know, I know. It's like, and I guess if it, it just takes like one person to initiate it, right? I mean, yeah, or just yeah. one guy just be like, "Hey, I'm going to throw it out there," Blah. you know. Then maybe it's like, okay. I, I remember before I moved to Houston when I was living in Waco, I was involved in a in a men's kind of a small group Bible study kind of a, a thing. Uh, I was relatively new to the group, and so this group had been pretty well a, a well oiled machine. They've been meeting for a while. And the guy shared just his struggle with pornography. And for a guy to share that, I think number one is huge, right? Because of the potential yeah. judgment of like, you're still struggling with that. But I but there was such a beauty to it because the guy felt very, very comfortable. He knew that it was safe, that he wasn't gonna be yeah. judged. And the guys were completely like empathetic, like, okay, okay, whatever. But you know, and, and it was it was awesome, and, you know, just to be able to see these guys. Really, just not just opening, just to open up. I mean, just to, I don't know. It was just, I guess there was kind of a sweetness about it, you know, that this guy really yeah. just was being really honest and just raw. You could tell that it, it took a while for them to get there for this guy to really feel comfortable sharing that. But, um, but there's beauty in that. And so by that guy sharing, then it kind of made all the other guys go, Oh, well, if he's sharing that, wow, then then I should be able to share stuff too. You know, I just didn't know. No. And there are some settings and situations where, you know, guys see that out, or if you're in a group like that, that they could definitely facilitate and help open up about things. But generally, you know, generally speaking, it's hard to, you have to seek that out and find it. And I don't know how many guys are actually doing that. I mean, I have a group of guys we meet once a week and similar format. And it's it's great for those kinds of things. There's definitely a need for more of that. Yeah. Well, maybe something that you shared tonight, Jeff, you know, will resonate with somebody. And and I appreciate you just being open and honest. And you yeah. know, I love hearing your story. And you know, I've known you for a long time. In full disclosure, <laughs> um, and there's some stuff that I learned, you know, tonight about you. And I think I and I know that your dad is incredibly proud of you and the legacy that you are leaving with in your children um, that I get to witness at least every week. Yeah, you, get, you get to see uh, what I've created. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But there's beauty in that and the legacy and, um, you know, that you're leaving and that started from your dad and your dad's dad and whether it's through football or not. But I think too, what I've observed in you is that your children are different and that you don't try to put them in a certain mold because this is dad's mold and you're a king and you're going to be this, you know, it's like be who you are, man. And we're going to support you and shine in your own way, you know? And um, I think that's awesome. That's how you have to look at it. And you, you use the term legacy, you know, my dad's funeral, the pastor mentioned legacy and he, he looked at all of us and said, you're your dad's legacy. And the most important thing that your dad left and that what you are going to leave is your legacy. So mm -hmm. I think it's important to keep that in mind. And, you know, it's not perfect and it's not a perfect process and we're not perfect. And well, and I, for the dads out there who feel like they've, they've messed something up or screwed something up, you know, it's just, you know, I just hope that they know that it's never too late. Yeah. When your kids still, they still look to you and they still need you and they still love you in spite of all that. Yeah. Uh, you just got to be open to them and be listening to what they need. So 
Well, the last thing I'll say too is like, you know, having been in the world of education for, for almost 20 years, you know, it's like no matter how cool that I was trying to be or funny I was trying to be or relatable and almost step in kind of as a surrogate parent, I, I realize at the end of the day, I never can replace the role of a parent, no matter how jacked up their parents were. Um, the kids were always looking to their parents. Do I have worth? Do you, do you see me? Do you value me? You know, so it's like, I, you know, not that I would try so hard to, to be their dad or their, I didn't knew that, but, you know, then some of our kids came from really messed up situations, but they still wanted that approval from their parents, you know? So, so you can't replace that bond with the parent. Exactly. Exactly. Even if you're stepping in. Yeah. Yep. Well, Jeff, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for, for taking the for time to, to chat. And I appreciate you and your friendship and just with what you're doing with your kiddos. So hopefully this has been encouraging to you because it has been for me. It has. And I thank you for having me and I appreciate what you're doing. Absolutely, Jeff. Well, hey, thank you so much. And thanks to everybody out there for, uh, for listening to Bear Crawl. We hope you enjoy this latest episode of Bear Crawl with Dads. From our brother C.S. Lewis, you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending.